As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson, and Professor Alistair McGrath. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources, and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Alistair, numerous people have come to faith through C.S. Lewis. Do you think the Space Trilogy could be a vehicle for this? I think the answer is it could be, but it's not the most obvious place to begin. I think that um, there are two reasons for this. I think the first one is that, well, um, it's quite demanding. And the points that Lewis wants to make, to me, don't stand out with the clarity that they might have, for example, in the Chronicles of Narnia. But the, the second point really is that um, Lewis, I don't think, has quite worked out for himself yet how to do this. And that's why Narnia is so special. Um, In his um, very famous wartime sermon of 1941, The Weight of Glory, Lewis says, we've got to learn how to tell a better story. And I see Lewis trying to do that in the Space Trilogy, but I I just feel it doesn't work as well as I would like. And it does work in Narnia. So I think that we need to see Lewis as, as developing this new form of apologetics, testing out different approaches, and then finding one that really works in Narnia. But nevertheless, that doesn't stop us from enjoying what we find in the, in the Space Trilogy. Now, we've mentioned quite a lot the kind of the influence on Narnia and the fact that Lewis is potentially testing out some ideas in the Space Trilogy that are later sort of developed and done, in your opinion, in a more effective way in the Narnia Chronicles. But are there any obvious parallels, do you think, between the Space Trilogy and the Narnia Chronicles? Are that you know, I, I feel like he sort of mentions the wardrobe at one point um, is is a space in in a house, and there just seems to be kind of a couple of things. You know, he says we'll make the nobler of the beasts so wise that they will speak. He says at, at the end of Perilandra. Do you think those are kind of intentional? Did he have Narnia in the back of his head or, or is that just sort of coincidental? Was I just reading that into it through the eyes of kind of knowing the Narnia Chronicles, do you think? If you know the Narnia Chronicles, you'll see important anticipations. I think the anticipation I see is um, the 
the idea you arrive in a strange place, as is certainly true of um, the first two novels in the series, and you're trying to figure out what is this place? Who are these people? What's going on here? And those are trying to help us see that very often we get these things wrong. We make misjudgments. We have to work out who we trust and various things like that. And Lewis will actually very often use these things to to raise some quite deep theological questions. I mean, one of them is that, um, you know, what we might think of as being mythological on earth might be real somewhere else. In other words, there are different stories and we judge certain to be myths and others to be real. But actually, maybe that reflects our perspective. Maybe in another world where we think of mythology is actually the way things really are. So it is quite a good way of opening these questions up. But again, I, I think um, I see Lewis doing this better later. Alistair, do you think the way that the Space Trilogy has been sort of interpreted or received has changed over time? And do you think there's any particular elements that have really stood the test of time? Well, what I notice is that um, I, I have several colleagues who take this very, very seriously and are saying that actually it needs to be rediscovered. And certainly in, in the in the post-war period, the, the, these three books began to sink down the ranks a bit because they weren't really um, seen as being of the same quality as the other kind of writing Lewis did. I think people are now more willing to see that they are prophetic reflections on the way in which we are going, which we need to recover. And so I think that now there's a greater willingness to read these books and see them as being actually quite significant um, criticisms of certain trends that we can now see happening all around us. Even though they were beginning to happen in Lewis's day, things have sped up quite quickly. And so we can now see them, I think, as speaking to us really quite deeply. So my feeling is that actually these works are coming back. They're, they're being taken more seriously. They're being read more widely. And I think that despite the difficulties we have in making sense of our points, they are a very important contribution to this discussion about who we really are, the difficulties we face in making sense of our world, and also the innate human tendency to do some things that are very, very stupid that we can't undo once they're done. And that, I think, is something that really needs to be brought to the fore. So you would suggest then that the Space Trilogy can still resonate with contemporary readers? I think we need almost for someone to write a little book saying, um, here are some useful ideas that might help you get into this. And in fact, various people have done that. And I think that this could be helpful. But if I'm put like this, you need a little bit of background to make sense of the books. And that background, I think, is relatively easily supplied. Well, yeah, I guess that was going to be one of my questions. Is there any advice that you would give someone who might struggle to follow some of the more complicated elements of, of the book? You know, some of the things that you've touched on, but also the philosophy, the science, the medieval history, or even, I guess, some of the sort of slightly archaic language. I think all these things came naturally to Lewis at that time. Uh, Lewis wasn't being pretentious. He was just, in effect, enjoying himself and writing in a style and using various allusions and allegories that came very naturally to him. But I think that the real difficulty is that um, it's hard for us to pick up on all of these. We almost need a, a set of books that are footnoted. You know, Lewis here is making a reference to so-and-so or something like that. And the difficulty is that that slows you down because you have to pause every now and then saying, what is, what is she getting at? 
Um, and, and again, that, that was a problem Lewis had with um, the Pilgrim's Regress because very often his readers just didn't understand who he was talking about or what he was getting at. I think the same, same is true here. I don't think anybody's ever going to film these um, novels, although I very much hope I'm wrong because I think um, in particular the first two could make very good films, I think. But um, the real difficulty is just um, things have moved on and the ideas and the concerns that would have been self-evident to Lewis in the 1930s don't really bubble up quite as easily within us um, nearly 100 years later. So I, I think we, we do need help to kind of step back into that world and um, recreate it. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. So what do we do if someone's listening to this thinking, oh, I really want to get into this book, but I just don't even know where to start. What, what would you recommend? Well, I think you, you have two options. One is to say, I'm going to find a book which talks to me about um, these novels tells me what to look out for and explains the background to them. That, that, that could be helpful. Um, the other thing is you, you read it with friends and you have, a, you have a pack that you're each going to read the same chapter and then you're going to talk about it and you're going to keep going until you get through the book. And, and you, know, you may find that you read other books to help you, but the idea is two of you together might find you can make more sense of it than one of you on your own. But it is one of those things where, of all of Lewis's novels, these are the ones where I think we need the most help if we're going to appreciate them. And because I know Lewis saw them as being very important, I think we owe it to Lewis to try and do our best to make sense of these. I mean, you mentioned there that you don't think it's likely that the Space Trilogy would be turned into a film. I mean, why hasn't it been turned into a film already, do you think? I think um, one of the difficulties is that if you take, for example, Out of the Silent Planet, um, there's a narrator there and the, the, the identity of the narrator is significant. It's very difficult to know how you would be able to make a film in which the identity of the narrator is not known till the end. It's, it's because it's a different genre. And I think that, that would be, that'd be quite difficult. I think it'd be difficult to to um, capture the sense of disclosure at the end. But you could try and find a way around that. Um, but it's just one of those things where 
Lewis has written a, a rich text, and I don't think it's always easy to capture the richness in the format of a film. Someone I read said that it might be because there's a lot of nakedness in there, and how do you depict that in a in a film? I'm sure he'd find a way around that. Um, but again, because it's a novel, Lewis can do things, can say things, and get away with it. But if you were to make it into a film, you'd have to kind of confront a number of difficulties like that. Alistair, do you think there's any sort of misconceptions or misunderstandings around the Space Trilogy that you would want to address or clean up in any way? Well, I think there are two that stand out for me. One is simply seeing this as a piece of space fiction. I mean, it is science fiction. You can enjoy it as such, but you need to be aware that Lewis is also wrestling with questions questions he believes will be important to his readers and is using science fiction as a genre, a way in thinking about those things. And that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is that, uh, and we've touched on this point already, I think earlier, is that when a writer is engaging pressing questions, those questions were pressing perhaps once, but not now. And sometimes, of course, you're dealing with deeper questions like, we're always going to be like this, let's get used to it. And I think that's why the third volume in this series, which is um, That Hideous Strength, which deals with the human tendency to want to master everything, to want to be able to, to change things radically, why Lewis actually, his critique of that really remains important for us today. Something why I, I want to say to you is the second difficulty is that the way of reading this is to say, that was then. We need to say, no, no, for Lewis, this is now as well. And Lewis helps us to be able to understand some things that linger in human nature. Well, it's interesting you're sort of talking about things lingering because there clearly is a bit of a legacy of, of the Space Trilogy in that, you know, we can see bits of other fiction, Christian literature, sort of, you know, holding on to some of these things. What is that enduring legacy? Are there science fiction novels and modern fiction and things like that have that have drawn on some of the space trilogy. Well, so, some people say that um, Lewis encouraged the rise of the genre. In effect, um, showed that you could use science fiction not simply to, to have a rather technological account of space travel, but to actually deal with the moral, the theological, the philosophical questions raised by the possibility of um, space journeys. Uh, you could argue that um, some of the greatest um, works in the genre of science fiction have seen themselves as standing in Lewis's tradition, by which I mean using science fiction as something that's good in itself, but as a lens onto big ethical and philosophical and theological questions. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why I think science fiction is a very significant um, form of writing, because as H.G. Wells showed, back in the 1890s. You, know, you can use science fiction to look at some very deep questions about who we are and where we're going. I think that remains linked into the genre. And Lewis, I think, just moved it along a further notch by what he did. Alistair, as we come to the end of this podcast, we're obviously going to be diving into the specific books over the next few episodes. But do you personally have a favourite moment or favourite moments within the Space Trilogy? I think that my favourite moment is, um, the, as I was hinting at, the dance in Perilandra. And the reason I find that so, so moving is, first of all, it's beautifully described. 
um, the, 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 the sense of movement, the sense of order. And then there's this beautiful section in which Ransom feels he doesn't just want to observe this, he wants to participate. The invitation to step into the dance, to become part of it. And that to me is very, very significant because it's saying, look, um, when you're talking about something that's beautiful or a theological vision of reality, you're not just looking at it. You're thinking, I want to be part of that. And of course, one of the points that Lewis is trying to make is that faith is about stepping into a bigger picture of reality and experiencing its beauty, its depth, its richness. And to me, that's a that's a very powerful part of um, Perilandra. So I, I really like that. Alistair, thank you so much. But for what it's worth, that hideous strength was my favourite and I think it would work really well as a film, actually. A creepy film, <laughs> but a film nonetheless. <laughs> thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. We were hearing there from Professor Alistair McGrath talking about one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction, the Space Trilogy. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time.